The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. That's right, Bear Down Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Yes, 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 Bears Banter has a new home. First, let me just take a a brief time out here to thank Jeff Hughes and the Bears blog. Spent the last six, seven months over there. The podcast has been a little nomadic here in 2019. It's its third home in in nine months. But I wanted to thank the Bears blog. Enjoyed being over there. But uh, opportunity knocked with Windy City Gridiron. And when opportunity knocks, sometimes you just need to open the door. Very excited to be a part of a very talented staff that Lester and, and everyone has put together. So very pleased to be a part of Windy City Gridiron. The podcast will be here, hopefully permanently, but at least for the foreseeable future. So very excited about that. But we have some things to discuss on today's podcast, and we're going to do that here shortly with Aaron Lemming. He of Windy City Gridiron, he of the Blitz Network, he of Bear Report. You can find Aaron just about everywhere because Aaron is the king of Bears Twitter and very excited to have him aboard. That's going to be his third appearance on this podcast, so we will talk plenty with him about everything going on with the Chicago Bears after the question marks raised in week one, which of course is where we're going to start the podcast. And I don't think you can start the podcast anywhere else but with Mitch Trubisky, because I think a lot of Bears fans were leaning positive with Trubisky. I think no one has been sold on Mitch Trubisky except for a few meatheads on Twitter that he is the second coming of Joe Montana, Steve Young, whatever you want to say. No one has really gotten to that point yet, but I think enough of us saw enough potential where we expected good things from Trubisky and a big step forward in 2019. And I think what's so alarming is simply... We didn't see that step. We might even have seen a regression. Now, we're not going to overreact here over one football game. It's a loss. It's frustrating. It's a loss at home. And it's a loss to your biggest rival, the Green Bay Packers. And it happened on national television. So pile all that in. The loss is a terrible loss. And the offense was pitiful. But I can't say the offense is doomed. Mitch Trubisky is doomed. But... 
what you can sit there and say is, all right, this is the second year in the Nagy system, in the in the Andy Reid offense. This is Mitch's third year. I understand Bears fans want to say, oh, the John Fox you know, games don't count. Yes, the John Fox games count. Was his growth as much as it would have been with a better offensive coach? No, but he was still lining up under center. He was still reading defenses. He still was growing as a quarterback. So there was some growth there, whether you want to admit it or not. Had his whole first year with the Nagy offense. Now we're in year three of Mitch. And we're starting to run out of excuses. I understand he didn't have as much experience as most quarterbacks his age when he came into the league. But at this point now, we're talking about 12 games his rookie year, 14 games last year, one playoff game, and one game this year. That's 28 games. This is basically two full seasons under his belt, sans a couple games. There is no reason that Mitch Trubisky shouldn't be showing more signs of getting it as a quarterback. And what I mean by that is we know the skills there with his feet. We know there's an arm talent. We know the athletic abilities. We've seen it. We see it flashed all the time. But what the issue is, is grasping the offense, pre-snap reads, making the right decisions, progressing through his receivers as the play develops, and we're not seeing enough growth there. And I think a lot of us gave him a pass because he was learning a new offense and he was behind the curve anyway because of the lack of, lack of experience at North Carolina. But now there are no excuses. These have to happen. Now, when I first watched the game, I'm like, let me watch the All-22 and see exactly what was going on. Now, I managed to do that. And in the first half, where I was just throwing my hands up, what is Nagy doing? What is Trubisky? I just was so frustrated. Now, as I watched the All-22, there were plays that were terrible, where every receiver was covered, the offensive line was a sieve, Trubisky was running for his life, was basically busted from the get-go. But there were plenty of plays where Allen Robinson had separation, Tariq Cohen had some, some separation, there were some players open down the field and not like third progressions where Mitch's play is moving to the left and someone's open on the right where you sit there and say, well, he's got to swivel all the way back. He'd have to throw against his body, whatever it might be. There weren't a lot of those. You're, you're talking about where he's looking left and someone's open middle of the field or he's looking middle of the field and someone's open to the left. There, there were enough plays. I'm not saying the Bears would have put up 20 first half points, but there were enough plays where that offense should have been moving the ball better, maybe at least getting into some field goal range, maybe a red zone opportunity. There was enough, and Mitch failed on that. And I, like I said, I've been a big supporter of Mitch Trubisky. This is a huge season for him, and you cannot not be concerned after what we saw in week one. There has to be improvement there. There has to be improvement immediately. I expect there to be improvement, but the question is how much? And that's where we are right now with Trubisky, is how much can he improve? We know that he's better than what he showed, but how? Where, where's the ceiling? You know, Brett Coleman, who does a great job uh, breaking down Twitter, or I'm sorry, breaking down film on, on Twitter, he did an off-season look at Trubisky and said maybe the floor's Alex Smith, and the ceiling, Steve Young. That's that's overall very positive. I have a hard time thinking that the ceiling's ever going to be anywhere close to Steve Young at this point. And and in the off season, I was still hopeful. Now one came in, not really hopeful at that kind of at that kind of level of success for him, because I'm just not seeing enough growth 
from the quarterback position itself, the in between the ears, so to speak. And I'm not saying Trubisky's dumb. He's not a dumb guy. He's he's got a you know he's got a good grasp of things. I'm not saying that, but he still needs to develop that part of his game, and it's just not there. Now, as for Matt Nagy, I can't sit there and you know put all the blame on Trubisky. First half, I'm definitely putting more blame on Trubisky. Nagy had some problems in the first half, but. Nagy's biggest problems came in the second half, and I don't see a lot with Nagy. Nagy puts together some really good offensive game plans and gets points on the board, but if the defense has a good game plan to offset what Nagy's doing, I haven't seen a lot of in-game adjustments from Nagy where I sit there and say, this guy can see an opening and then start exploiting it, can shift his game plan on the fly if need be. I haven't seen a lot of that, and what Nagy did in the second half to me is baffling he abandoned the run completely we saw how special david montgomery might be able to be here he had some really good plays but we abandoned the run game completely Nagy turned this into a game of madden football and just basically gave the ball to trubisky and said start launching the ball down the field now i understand some of that was rpos and mitch chose to pass and not and not do a running play i i get all that but that aside, that wasn't the only reason the Bears passed and passed and passed and completely abandoned the run. I mean, you know your quarterback is struggling. You need to take the ball out of his hands and into the running back's hands. Nagy played like he was down three scores. He was never down more than one score. Run the football. Like, you know, and I sit there and I, I know this might sound, for those of you listening to this podcast a lot, you know, about everyone saying last year, run the ball, Jordan Howard, run the ball, Jordan Howard. And I was against that. But what I'm not against is a balance on offense. What I don't want to see is the running back getting 30 carries and Trubisky throwing it 16 times. That's not the recipe I want, but I need a balanced offense, especially with Trubisky. Trubisky is not the type of quarterback who can throw 40, 45 times a game and get a victory. Trubisky's a guy who fits within an offense and to abandon an offensive game plan and to just start launching the ball all over the place when your quarterback was already struggling against what Mike Penton was throwing at him. I can't possibly fathom what Matt Nagy was thinking. There are plenty of things I could sit there and look at specific plays and everything about that, but I'm not going to sit there and nitpick on it. We've been going through everything with this game for almost a week. There's no point to go through specific plays. The one thing I will say is that fourth and 10, when they didn't let Eddie Pinheiro kick it, what are you doing? I, I, I don't need Eddie Pinheiro handled with kid gloves. Let the kid kick. If he doesn't have it, he doesn't have it. But let's find out in week one and not in week 15. We don't need kid gloves. He can kick 65, 70-yard field goals. Let's see if he can handle a 50-yard field goal in what was pretty good conditions. So that was a, you know, a, a, well, we had a maximum we wanted for the for the week. Stop that. It's 50, 51-yard field goal. Everyone in the NFL, if you're an NFL kicker, that's a kick you should make or at least, you know, make 75% of the time. So let's see if Eddie Pinheiro can do that. Why he decided to go for that, I, I that really bothered me. There were other cute plays and stuff. I'm not going to sit there and focus on what Matt Nagy did because at this point, we need to start looking ahead to the Broncos. And the Bears have a tough situation coming up here. They do. Winning in Denver in September is very hard. Opponents don't have you know quite as much wind in them, so to speak. They're not conditioned quite as much as they would be in November or so. And that thin air, that thin air could be a problem. So I'm hoping that the Bears can handle that okay. And I'm hoping the Bears can, can get a victory. 
It's not going to be easy on the road in Denver, but I will say this. What I watched with the Broncos on Monday Night Football was not a lot of positives. Joe Flacco is not an NFL quarterback anymore. He's barely a backup quarterback at this point. I don't understand why John Elway made that move in the first place, and I certainly don't think Joe Flacco is going to be a have a successful season with Denver this year. That puts Vic Fangio in a tough spot, but I will say this about Vic Fangio. His defense against the Raiders didn't look particularly good either. Now, you want to say chip on their shoulder, they're going to want to rebound at home? That may be true, and I'm sure they're going to want to do that, but at least the Bears have some some tape that they can look at, that Nagy can look at, and be like, what were the Raiders doing that was successful against Vic Fangio's defense? And he can mold that into what he does and hopefully get a good game plan against Vic because we know Vic's going to have a good game plan against Trubisky. Vic's great at disguising things. Mitch isn't always great at recognizing when things are disguised, so that could be a problem. I hope that Trubisky gets a lot better this week, but here's what I'm going to say about this week. Even if the Bears lose, and I 0-2 is a horrible start, and I understand all the stats about 0-2 teams not making the playoffs. But the reason those stats exist is because most of the time, teams that fall to 0-2 are not good football teams. And that's why they're on their way to going 5-11. and There are times where good football teams drop the first couple games of the season and get on track and make the playoffs. It's not impossible. And the fact that Redskins on the road, Vikings at home, Raiders in London is coming up. That still could put the Bears in a position to go 3-2 and two into the bye. And that's my big focus here, is that the Bears should go 3-2 and two into the bye. I mean, they still got a shot to go 4-1. and one. These are all winnable games here coming up. They're not easy, but they're winnable. They're not sitting there with that brutal, you know, at New England type game where you sit there and go, that's a loss. So they're winnable games. So the Bears need to just focus. And if they go 3-2 and two into the bye... I don't think anyone was sitting there going, the Bears are going to be 5-0. and I'm sure most teams, most players, most fans were hoping for 4-1. and But I think most fans would accept 3-2 and as a reasonable start to the season. So that's all I want for the Bears here. Let's go 3-1 and in the next four games, get to the bye at 3-2, and regroup, and go from there. Now that's my thoughts on the game. But let's get some thoughts from someone who knows a lot more about football than I do. He is Aaron Lemming, like I said, beginning of the podcast, Windy City Gridiron, Blitz Network, and of course, Bear Report. And he joins us now. Aaron, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? Doing good, man. I'm, I'm definitely glad you're with the uh, Windy City Gridiron crew now. I think it's been a little bit in the making, so I'm, I'm happy for you. Yeah, I'm very excited, and you know, I wish I could be as excited about the Chicago Bears football team as I am right now about Windy City Gridiron, but obviously that was a brutal loss on Thursday. I don't want to just sit there and, and, and nitpick at it because I know you know it's been almost a week and, and there's been plenty plenty discussed about what we've seen already, but we can't not we can't ignore it. So so let's start with where we I think we need to start, and that's Mitch Trubisky. I've been a big supporter of his. I think all of us who have been supporting uh, who who all of us who have been supporters of him expected a big jump this year and what we saw in week 1 is not exactly foreshadowing for a big season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I would go as far as saying it was a step back. I mean, even going back to last year in week 1 on the road against Green Bay, I mean, at least he had those he had those two or three scripted drives where he Looked good, took him down the field. I mean, he just looked completely lost. And I think part of it was just the overall offensive game plan. Um, I, I think Matt Nagy did a 
terrible job, to say the least. Uh, didn't establish a run game at all through the ball or attempted to throw the ball over 50 times. Uh, offensive line play was bad. But at the same time, I mean, just because all that happened doesn't mean that we can't say that Trubisky was bad because he was. He missed multiple throws, even some of the throws that he did make, uh, like David Montgomery um, over the you know over the middle of the field. I mean, it's one of those things where if he actually leads him instead of you know putting the ball about eight or nine inches higher than it should have been, and him having to jump up and catch it and then fall down, I mean that's that's probably a bigger gain right there. So I think a lot of it's confidence uh, i mean we're still talking about the same things over and over it's i, I think part of it's mental um obviously part of it's mechanical especially with footwork uh, hips all that i mean it's just it's just more of kind of the same thing i mean it's not to say that he can't improve and, and become the quarterback we we're all expecting him to be in year three but i mean it's not a good start to say the least and i think that there's still enough concerning signs where i think people can at least be justified obviously i'm not saying he going to be a bad quarterback by any means but it's definitely not the start that we'd all hoped and that's that's somewhat concerning at least for me yeah I, th- I think it definitely has to be concerning and and i think there's a difference between being concerned and being panicked and, and i think all bears fans should be concerned with what they saw about mitch trubisky but with just one week definitely not time to panic there's still plenty of time to fix you know basically what happened there in week one but what, what i'll say about about trubisky is there's been plenty of quarterbacks in the past where accuracy hasn't been great for them but they go on to phenomenal careers brett Favre could thread a needle but at the same time he had plenty of balls float on him donovan mcnab not that he's a, a hall of famer but he had a very good career not very good accuracy michael vick i know his athleticism is a next level accuracy problems for him so I think Trubisky can get around the accuracy issues if they never if he never can thread a needle. I think the Bears will be okay if they have a good offense around him and and everything. But what is just not really developing is the fact that he's still a one read quarterback. He's just not getting through the progressions as the play develops. He's missing. You said he's missing open guys, and it's not just open guys. It's open guys down the field, which is why he's always, you know, checked down Charling to Mike Davis out in the flat when Allen Robinson had two steps on his guy down the left seam. So that to me is the biggest problem of all the issues we might have seen with, with what Nagy's play calling was, with the offensive line, with the issues Mitch had, the number one issue to me right now that could hold this team back is the fact that Mitch Trubisky is still not picking up his his second and third options. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's obviously a big concern. I think that kind of comes with the mental processing, whether that's him simply not being able to handle the moment in terms of, you know, coming into a game, a big game like week one, whatever it may be. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things when you like, like point out, you're, you're watching him and he's locking on to either one receiver or one side of the field. And it's so predictable. It's something that even on the broadcast, when I'm getting all 22, even on the broadcast, we're seeing his eyes, his eyes aren't moving. I mean, it's just, it's the same, it's the same thing too often. And to me, for as much as Matt Nagy sat there and talked about how, you know, how much he knew this offense, how in control he was, it's like, to me, that screams that he doesn't know the offense because if he did know the offense and he would be able to go through his progressions, he would be able to find the right read. And like you pointed out, there was multiple times where he's walked on to one guy and you're looking over on the other side of the field and there's at least one or two receivers wide open. And I mean, that's, that is going to be a bigger issue than anything just because, it's, it's going to be easier for defenses to play that. And it's like the Packers talked about, Packers defensive backs talked about it. Adrian Amos knew exactly what the Bears were doing on the interception um, on third down in the, in the red zone like that. It just it doesn't it, 
those are the concerning parts. And I think a lot of it's mental processing because it's like pre-snap, I think he knows exactly what he's looking at. Um, you know, he's got Matt Nagy to help him out. He's got the offensive line to help him out. But when it goes post-snap and when he's actually going through his progressions, I think is a bigger issue. And it's, But it's weird because it's only at times. There's times, I mean, last year we saw, especially towards the end of the season, whether that be the Packers game, the 49ers game, the Vikings game, there was multiple games, even the, the second uh, the second half of the Eagles game, the playoff game, where he was seeing the field really well. He was going through his progressions. He was taking his time. So it, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know whether or not it's simply – him not understanding or whether it's simply him panicking or not being as comfortable once the game actually gets started up until, you know, the fourth quarter where all of a sudden they get in a you know, hurry up offense. I, I think the big thing is if he can get out of his own head, uh, I think, and again, moving forward, I think kind of the way to get him on track is going to be a lot of quick strike, uh, you know, short to, to medium throws and, and just kind of getting him in some sort of rhythm to where he establishes that confidence because he seems like he's still, at least mentally to me, he still seems like he's on the level of like a rookie or second-year player. Last thing on the game, and, you know, obviously last year, Bears go 12-4 and and lose week one to the Packers. I understand that one was on the road and this one was at home. But the, the road versus home aside, what what I would say, and, and, and I'm asking, I'm going to ask you here to try and help me pinpoint it. Last year, and, and look, that loss, the way they blew it in the fourth quarter, that, that was a brutal loss, especially with how positive things looked in the first half. But to me, the loss this year, and maybe it's expectations coming into the season, the loss this year is more alarming and and more concerning than the loss was last year. And again, with Trubisky, he stunk last year. That second half against the Packers was terrible. So it can't just be how Trubisky looked, but I, I don't know what it is. There's something about this loss that's far more alarming than last year's week one loss, and I can't put my finger on it. I think it's absolutely expectations. I think... Going into last year, obviously, they got Cleo Mack. They made a bunch of moves in, in free agency. They had a really good draft. I mean, we, I think most of us were expecting them to be vastly improved, but I don't think anybody expected them to go 12-4. Uh, and then this year, it's like they're coming off 12-4 season. Uh, I think a lot of people can at least make the argument that the roster uh, stayed the same. It's not got a little bit better just because they expected development from multiple players. But – you know, and then you, then you come in, and it's like, especially the offense. I mean, it's been that's been the storyline all offseason outside of the kicker is the offense has to take the next step. Everybody thought that the offense would take the next step. This is not 101, it's 201, all this stuff. And then they come out, they score three points. They had multiple penalties. They had a this situation where they were first and 40. I mean, it was just ugly. And, and it's not to say that the Packers played much better because they really didn't, but. I think it was more of the expectations of the Bears are supposed to be a Super Bowl contender this year, and they come out and they score three points against a division rival at home for their 100th anniversary, and they you know, they open up the season uh, on national TV, and that's a product that we get after waiting eight months. I think that was more of the disappointment. And here's the thing. If they win the next two, three, four games, then we're going to look back at week one as, as an anomaly. But unfortunately, all we can do is live in the moment right now and wait for the next game. So, I mean, here we are with the reactions. Offensive line, concerned at all, or do you think that was just rust? I'm not overly concerned. It seems like a lot of the a lot of the offensive line seems to start off a little slow anyway. Um, and I think part of that is definitely on Trubisky as well, just not processing. I mean, there was multiple times where he could have got rid of the ball faster than he did, and he didn't. So, I mean, they, they've invested too much on that offensive line for it to all of a sudden kind of fall apart, especially with Harry Heastad. I, I, I think they'll be fine. I, I mean, the tackles have always been average. You know, right, right in there. I mean, depending on Bobby Mass is always a little inconsistent, but 
I, I think it'll all get figured out. Uh, and I also think that we can't underrate just how good of a defensive front the Packers have now. I mean, they have, obviously they got the, the Smith brothers in there and they made some moves and, and, and Mike Pettin's an aggressive defensive coordinator. So I'm not going to put too much concern in the offensive line yet, but I mean, clearly they have to have a better performance than they did in week one. All right. Now, now moving ahead to week two and, and with all the issues Nagy had, the one thing that just bothered me and, and look, I know Matt Nagy loves different looks, different personnel packages. I get that's, that's part of, of the Matt Nagy offense. So I, I understand that, but at the same time, if you want an explosive offense, you need explosive players on the field. And the Bears have explosive players between Allen Robinson and Tariq Cohen, David Montgomery, Anthony Miller. And yet we saw a lot of Mike Davis. We saw a lot of Corderell Patterson, who has some explosion in him, too. I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't. But those top playmakers for the Bears, I, I th- you know, there, there's so many different personnel packages. They were barely on the field together. And when they were on the field those were the packages that gained the most yards. And when a lot of the Mike Davises and a lot of the, you know, the Ben Bronickers were on the field, we saw a lot of, you know, a lot less yards per, per play. So moving ahead to the Broncos, I'd like to see Matt Nagy have a lot more of his top playmakers on the field and get cute a lot less with packages. I'm right there with you. I mean, just looking, looking at the snap counts alone, I mean, you, you've got, uh, I mean, obviously Trey Burton wasn't out there, and I think that's I think that's a bigger bigger value than maybe some people give him credit for, even just being on the field. But I mean, you look at it. Anthony Miller had I think it was twenty three percent of the snaps. David Montgomery was under fifty percent. Uh, I mean, Anthony Miller was. I mean, there's five active receivers, and he had the least amount of snaps out of the five receivers, and that's not even including Trey Cohen. I'm obviously Trey Cohen needs to be on the field. I think he was on the field for about seventy percent of the time, but. It's just a situation, like you pointed out. I mean, you, you trade it up and you spend a second-round pick on Anthony Miller. Anthony Miller needs to be out on the field more. I understand he was injured, but you you got to get it figured out. I mean, he's got to be on the field. Personally, I think he needs to be on the field more than Taylor Gabriel. But, again, I think the big the big point, at least for me, is David Montgomery's got to be on the field. You didn't just trade up in the third round to get the guy to play in, I think it was 46 or 47% of the time, I mean, that, that, that doesn't even make any sense. And especially, it seemed like every single time he touched the ball, there was positive plays. And that's not to say that Mike Davis isn't a good player, but Mike Davis is Mike Davis. There's a reason that he got $5 million over two years of free agency. I mean, it's or $6 million or whatever it was. I mean, it, either way, it wasn't much. And, and the reason is, is because he's just not, he's not a top-end running back. And with a guy like David Montgomery, they gushed all offseason about him. He can catch the ball. He can pass block. I mean, obviously, there's going to be some work there because he's a rookie. Um, he's an extremely good runner with extremely good vision. He fits the inside zone uh, scheme that they're trying to run. I mean, there's there's multiple things that he fits. So get him out on the field. I mean, let let the guy play. I mean, having seven total touches and, and you know, under 50% of the snaps doesn't really make any sense. And, again, it's all about fit. You can't sit here and, and, and say, okay, well, we traded Jordan Howard because he didn't fit the offense. But then you have a guy that ultimately fits the offense and, and uh, David Montgomery, and yet he's not on the field that much. So I think, I mean, again, it, it was one week. I, I think the overall game plan was terrible. Uh, I don't think there's really any way around that. But I think moving forward, I mean, just a steady, especially when we're looking at week two, I mean, a, a steady diet of just running the ball, simply running the ball and putting in Trubisky, or putting Trubisky in positions where he could actually make, you know, thoughtless throws, essentially, you know, quick, thoughtless throws and put them in good positions. I think that's going to go a long way, not only winning week two, 
but building confidence and building some sort of chemistry moving forward. I think that's going to be a big thing. All right. Uh, a couple more with Aaron Lemming. Twitter is at Aaron Lemming NFL. Before we let him go, appreciate him hopping on the podcast. Let's jump over to the defensive side of the ball. We've been focusing a ton on the offense. Defense, look, anytime you hold Aaron Rodgers to 10 points, you sign up for it every time and just assume the offense is going to be able to score 13. But that being said, you know, look, Pagano's a different defensive coordinator than Fangio, so he's going to be doing different things out there. There were some receivers that were wide open, but at the same time, overall, the defensive scheme seemed to work pretty well. Did you like what you saw with Chuck Pagano's defense? Absolutely, I did. And I think another thing to kind of keep in mind, especially with the Packers on the Bears' plan, there's always a lot of receivers open. I mean, I don't know what it is. I mean, even going back to last year in week one, I mean, man will call up wide open over the middle of the field, you know, catches catches it, what, like 15 yards downfield, takes it all the way for a touchdown. Same thing with Devontae Adams. I mean, it, it's just there's something with the Packers and the receivers and what Aaron Rodgers is able to do where it seems like there's a lot of open receivers. I think the only thing, and again, this is the Packers. They don't turn the ball over a lot, especially with Aaron Rodgers. The only thing that really – was kind of like, all right, that needs to improve was the, the, the turnovers. I mean, they've, they've got to be able to obviously cause turnovers. I think they will. Um, but, I mean, the, the defense overall, at least to me, looked more aggressive. I think the biggest issue that I had the entire game with what Chuck Pagano did and was one drive and it resulted in the touchdown was, what the hell was Zeon Bush at on the field? I, I, don't, I, I still don't understand that. He's provided no explanation. He's been asked twice. He's given no explanation. I I don't understand that. I understand that Chuck Pagano wants to rotate, especially his, his front seven guys. I understand that. Um, he did a lot of rotating between Roy Robertson Harris while Nichols was getting in the mix, obviously, with the Keen Hicks. Uh, I, I think I saw Isaiah Irving out on the field with decent amount. Aaron Lynch, the same thing. I understand that. But when you're talking about defensive backs and especially safeties, especially with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, uh, I don't want Deion Bush out of the field. I want to see ha-ha Clinton Dix who you just gave you know money to and you're expecting a bounce-back year from. I want to see Eddie Jackson. I want to see Kyle Fuller, uh, you know, Prince of Nukamura. Those are the guys that I want to see. So I, I, I understand it, and I know that they're going to use a lot of defensive backs. I was just hoping that when they use those defensive backs, it wasn't going to be pulling starters off the field that had range because, unfortunately, I think that – Deion Bush being out on the field for that series, I mean, he was targeted on both of the big plays that they had, whether it was the, the big catch uh, down the field when God knows what he was doing, and obviously <laughs> it, the, the touchdown Jimmy Graham where he was just flat-out bullied. I, that would probably be my only concern, but, I mean, in terms of aggression, uh, I mean, just the way that Roquan Smith played, uh, the way that uh, the, the front four played as a whole, I mean, just getting to the quarterback and the different things that they were able to do, I mean, that was, that was a lot of fun to watch. So I'm not remotely concerned about the defense. I'm just hoping maybe uh, Pagano, this is kind of a lesson learned from him. Like, don't, don't pull your starting defensive backs out. If you want to put other defensive backs, that's fine. And, and you know, nickel and dime situations, but don't pull your starters out. Yeah, I, I completely agree. The Deion Bush thing was probably the most baffling thing for me that I saw defensively. And, and I'll admit that, you know, as, as critical as I was as Buster Screen, he did look pretty good. So let's hope for good things there. There, there might have been one or two or he might have gotten away with a defensive hold, but that's going to be every game with Buster. So we'll have to live with that. But you brought up Roy Robertson, Harris, and I just want to ask you a quick one on him because that was probably his best game as a Chicago Bear. And, you know, we've kind of, even since he was a, an undrafted free agent when he was first trying to make the team, you know, we knew about the athleticism and, and, and everything that he brought to the table as a football player. But when you, you have so far to go, you got obviously need time to develop. And, and Harris is kind of getting to that point now. Do you think that was just a great game from a pretty good player? Or is, are we possibly looking at a breakout season from him? You know, that, that's a good question. I, I think, I mean, he had, 
maybe not to that level, but I mean, at least last year he had, he had a few games where it was like, Oh wow. this you know, you could definitely see the development and, and it's going to be interesting because when you look at him, I mean, the bears kind of got lucky with putting him on. I think it was the, uh, the non-football injury or non-football injury list or whatever they call it, NFI. Um, and his, his technical rookie year where they didn't actually have to use a year of service on him. So he's actually going in the third year. He was uh, an exclusive rights free agent this year, which means he's going to be a restricted free agent next year. So, I mean, worst case, it's going to cost him an extra million dollars to put a second-round tender on him, uh, and they'll have him for another year. But I I don't know whether he's going to be that you know the breakout guy just because of how well they rotate. And it seems like almost every game, uh, at least last year, and I guess we'll see what happens this year, where it seemed like there was a different guy breaking out. You know, Roy Robertson-Harris had a few good games. Uh, Belong Nichols had a few good games. There were there there were just moments for multiple guys on the defense. So I'm not going to get too carried away yet. And it's kind of the same thing as Leonard Floyd, where he plays really well against Packers. I want to see, especially with a guy like Roy Robertson Harris, I want to see him follow it up with other games. And it's going to be interesting because they they have a lot of talent on the defensive line. And again, I mean, this is probably not going to be a player that they can afford to keep long term, but if you can get two years of high-level production out of him, and even if you have to slap a first-round tender on him and maybe end up trading him, I don't know. But, I mean, that would be an excellent development, and especially for a player that the Bears had value pre-draft coming out of, uh, I think it was UTSA, if I remember right. It was UTSA or UTEP, one of the two. He came from one of the Texas, the smaller Texas schools, and they really liked him coming out, and, you know, he's made the transition well from outside linebacker to defensive line. So, I mean, that's that's already kind of a win in the in – the, the book of uh, pace undrafted free agents, anyway. Yeah, I think it was UTEP, uh, but yeah, you're you're right. And, you know, we've we've seen a lot of good things, and hopefully that'll that'll continue in the defense overall. So, so last thing for you, let's look at this Broncos game. You know, after the Bears lost that game, knowing how good Denver is at home, especially early in the season with the thin air and the big home field advantage, I almost basically chalked the game up as a loss. But after watching the Broncos on Monday Night Football and Joe Flacco confirming to me how trashy he is at this point in his career it just is the the fact of of what it is Vic Fangio I I don't think the defense is going to be as bad as it was against the Raiders but I I do think Vic Fangio has got some issues as as a head coach he just seems a little little lost out there I I don't want to be overly critical of him because I'm I'm a fan of Vic's but you know and I I heard some things from some other people that the the head coach itself I think Vic might have thought that it was you know one coach coaches offense he coaches the defense and he's got to do a couple press conferences and and that's basically the only thing that's different from what he did in years past but I think he's learning that the head coaching job is is a bigger job than I think maybe he even expected so maybe the Broncos you know might be struggling still heading into week two I don't think this is a must-win game because of the games coming up after that being winnable. Are you looking at this as a must-win game, and do you think they can pull it off? I'm not looking at it as a must-win game. I mean, we, we I think we mostly know the, the history behind going on to and how I think it's, I think it's right around like a 15% chance a team to make the playoffs. But again, I think a lot of that's situational. I mean, look at the Seahawks last year. The Bears put them at 0-2. Seahawks made the playoffs last year. I mean, it's just... It's a little bit different of a situation. I still think that the Bears are a good enough team to be able to overcome it. Um, obviously, it would be ideal for them to get a win. Um, but if they don't, the one thing to kind of keep in mind with this is it's a non-conference game. So at least in terms of tiebreakers moving down the line, if they finish, let's say, 9-7, and 10-6, that should work in their favor. But, I, I mean, it's going to be a tough game. I, it's one of those, I mean, the Broncos look bad, the Bears look bad. Um, I I I really like Vic Fangio. Didn't really think he was going to be a very good head coach to begin with, just because I mean, there's at least in my mind that there's a reason that a guy 
is that good of a defensive coordinator or that good of a coordinator for that long in general. And, I mean, that was his first interview outside of the team that he was coaching for. And I think that's something to kind of keep in mind. I mean, with San Francisco, as soon as uh, – I'm drawing a blank on the guys that – was it – Jim Tom Zula? Was it Jim Tom Zula? Yeah, Jim Tom Zula. Uh, he got the job over yeah, there. Yeah, so he, you know, he got an, he got the interview there before Tom Zula got the job, and then you know the, the same thing when uh, John Fox got fired, he got you know kind of a courtesy interview. But I mean, that was his first actual interview from an outside team uh, with Denver, and I mean, not to be a jerk, but look at what Denver's done lately. I mean, look at what John Elway's done lately. I mean, outside of Peyton Manning, I mean, obviously they got a Super Bowl, but outside of Peyton Manning, it's like, what have they really done? And so I, I don't know. I'm, I've always been somewhat skeptical of that move. I mean, great for him. I'm glad he's finally getting the opportunity. But in terms of the Broncos, I don't think the Broncos are going to be a good team. But again, like you pointed out, when you're looking at, uh, one, the defense side of the ball for the Broncos, they may not have a lot of depth because they still have Bradley Chubb. They still have Von Miller. They still have Chris Harris. Uh, Kareem Jackson. I mean, they got some talent there, but again, Vic Fangio knows knows the Bears' offense. But I think really what this comes down to is I always side more uh, with history in terms of what the Broncos have done. They're like fifty three eight and one or something like that over over like their last sixty two games at home since like the merger or whatever it was. It's some random number. Point being is usually those numbers stick for a reason. Usually the Bears aren't ones to beat out the odds. So I, if I had to lean one way or another, I think that you know there's a better chance that the Bears could lose this game. I think it's a very winnable game for the Bears, and by any means, I don't think that the season's going to be over even if they go to 0-2, just because I still think that they can go 3-2 and into the bye. But obviously it's a big game. Hopefully they can win it because I don't know if I can deal with another week of craziness on Twitter and my mentions, on my timeline, <laughs> all that fun stuff. It's like, you know, it it was a loss. It sucked. I was irritated. We all vented. Everybody kind of got it out of the way. It's now Wednesday, and I'm still getting stuff. My mentions that it's just like, dude, there's still 15 games to go. This is a good team. Like, let's let's just wait it out a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think three and two is the goal right now. So whether the loss comes against Denver, the Redskins, Minnesota, even in London, you know, they should beat the Raiders. But those games in, in London are weird. You never know what happens with those games. As long as they're three and two headed into the bye, I'm going to be at least comfortable going into the, the second part of the season. So there he is, Aaron Lemming at Aaron Lemming NFL, Windy City Gridiron, Blitz Network and Bear Report. Aaron, thanks so much for jumping aboard. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for having me on, man. All right, there he is, Aaron Lemming, the king of Bears Twitter. See, now notice what I did is I said king of Bears Twitter at the beginning of the podcast and after he's already gone because Aaron is very humbled and Aaron doesn't, you know, you know, will 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 poo poo that basically immediately because he doesn't like getting compliments. So Aaron Lemming, there he is. He's a great follow at Aaron Lemming NFL. I'm sure you all follow him already, but if you don't, go ahead and do that immediately. So. Let's wrap up Bears banter here because Aaron had a lot of good points. And and, and I think we're, we're at a point here where most Bears fans are kind of on the same page. Trubisky needs to improve. Nagy needs to get better with his, his play calling and his game plan. Defense needs to continue what it's doing and cause more turnovers, but still be the defense that we know it is. And the Bears will get back on track. Now, you could kind of tell there, Aaron, I didn't want to make him, I didn't want to put him on the spot and make him pick the Broncos, but you can kind of tell when he's saying he likes to go with history that he's expecting a Broncos win. I'm with him. I don't think this is must win because I think three and two is the critical record here, not one and one versus oh and two. So that's going to do it for Bears banter. Before I go, let me give you a prediction, and it's going to be a positive one. I think Joe Flacco is terrible. 
And I think Joe Flacco is worse than Mitch Trubisky. I'm not killing Mitch Trubisky here. I'm just saying as is what I've seen from Trubisky. Flacco's not as good. Flacco doesn't have as many weapons. The Broncos defense, as good as it is, is not as good as the Bears defense. I get the Vic Fangio and what he might be able to do to Trubisky. I get the home record and how good the Broncos are at home. But I think the Chicago Bears pull this off. Now, I'm not going to, you know, I had the Bears basically scoring 31 points in week one against the Packers. I'm going to reel that way back. If you're a gambler, take the under because I think the Chicago Bears win 17 to 13. So that's going to do it for Bears banter. Let's hope next week we're talking about a one and one football team and not 0-2 where I'm trying to talk everybody off the ledge. We'll talk to you next week. Bear down, everybody. Adios. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.